Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. Oh, have we got a great story for you today. Um, this, is, this is one of those, you may have to get a tissue or two uh, because this is one of those stories that is is really dynamic and it's dynamic and it's about our human condition and some of the things that happen to us along the way. And uh, Holly Francis is our guest. Francis, right? Holly Francis. Yep. Cool. I, I had to be sure that I was getting the name right. Yeah, and you, you are, first of all, you're an incredible young lady. You've written the book called Life Support Surviving um can you pronounce that for me i can yeah it's guillain syndrome it's a rare autoimmune disorder and uh it's french in case you're trying to pronounce it no worries there <laughs> <laughs> i have trouble with that i i don't I, I wasn't born in france i have trouble with that language first oh. i have trouble with english even when I was diagnosed with it, I couldn't even pronounce it probably for the first like three or four months. I, I pronounced it wrong. So no worries. <laughs> and it is something that I had never heard of before I got a hold of your book. And uh, um, I think a lot of us are in that same boat. We don't really know what it is and how mm -hmm. how destructive it can be uh, for someone's life. And and but let's go back in the midst of time before any of that. You uh, had a baby or were had about to have a baby. Yep. And you were, what, 27 weeks pregnant or something like that? Uh, no, no. I was uh, I was 26 years old at the time, and I had um, actually just given birth. So oh, you I, just given birth. Yeah, I had just given birth. So I was, I was you know, just recovering at home, and I was doing really well. And uh, my, my daughter was born. My, my pregnancy was really, really easy. I, I, I hate saying that because I know some people's really struggle. But uh, my pregnancy went so smoothly. I loved being pregnant pregnant and I was just really excited about my my time with my daughter and so then she was born and uh, I was adjusting to life with with her at home um, and then GBS came on and it came on very suddenly so I went from being completely healthy and then all of a sudden I'm dealing with these pins and needles kind of feeling in my finger and it's kind of spreading upward. I, I went to a, an era to a medi center because I was kind of worried what was going on. I was having some pain in my neck and uh, they told me I had a pinched nerve and they told me to just go home. Uh, so that's what I kind of figured it was. Uh, but the pain in my neck kind of got worse and I was having a little bit of trouble walking and getting up the stairs. Uh, but I was also, you know, recovering from a C-section and, and I was really tired adjusting to life as a new mom. And so I uh, just kind of brushed it off and figured that I'd go to bed and wake up in the morning and feel fine. But unfortunately, it progressed very, very quickly. And I went from, you know, just being tired and in a little bit of pain to unable to, to walk. And when I woke up in the middle of the night, my daughter was crying because she had to nurse. And uh, I stood from the, the bed and basically collapsed because my, my legs gave out on me. And so that's when I knew that uh, something was much more severe than a pinched nerve. And I went to the, uh, basically the ER, had my husband at the time drop me off, said, come pick me up when, uh, when I'm done here. I figured it would be a couple hours, but uh, I did not walk out of that hospital for over four months. It is amazing. Now, in the research that you've done, did the pregnancy have anything to do with that or the C-section or, or any of the medical things that you were going through? It did. Yeah, L likely. I mean, there's there's no guarantee that they can prove why GBS was a trigger for me or why it came on. Uh, but GBS, so basically what it is, it's a rare autoimmune disorder. And like you, I had never heard of it. Most people have never heard of this disease, uh, but it is similar to multiple sclerosis in that it attacks basically your body. And so it's an autoimmune response. So your body will see, you know, some, you know, when you have a cold or you have a flu and then your auto, your immune system kicks in and starts attacking off the fight, it, it's fighting it off, right? Uh, well, with GBS, it incorrectly continues to fight and it starts to attack the peripheral nerves. So how it's similar to MS is that MS, it'll attack the brain and the spinal cord 
uh, with Guillain-Barre, it'll attack the uh, basically all the nerves in your entire body. And so what it does is it it stops the brain from being able to transmit signals to your nerves, which are connected to all your muscles. And so then it causes pain and potentially paralysis. And that's what happened with me. And so for me, the the trigger was likely childbirth um, or the C-section, which are both common triggers of GBS. Uh, GBS typically will come on three to four weeks after some sort of stressful event on the body. So that can be various number of things. It can be pregnancy. Like I said, I do know many, many women that have gone through this after being pregnant or just after giving birth. Um, Many people will have it after having a a surgery of some case. Uh, It also comes on after like a stomach bug, the flu, Uh, many, many different viruses, uh, as well as like Zika virus, and then some vaccines as well. So just given the timeline, it is likely that it was childbirth or the C-section for me. So if you're beginning to feel unusual that way, well, first of all, this is a white uh, blood cells attacking the body, basically. Yes. Is that that right? Absolutely. And so so when, by, by the way, if you've ever had nerve pain, if you've ever had like something is attacking your nerves, that is the most excruciating pain that there is because you can't get away from it. And it's it, was that was that your experience as well? That was my experience. So as soon as the the body started to attack itself, that was why why I was feeling that pain, and it was strange in my neck. But gradually, over the several hours that it progressed, uh, the nerve pain traveled through my entire body. And it was basically the inflammation in, in my body. And yeah, like you said, it's excruciating. And I was given high amounts of narcotics and, and stuff that just didn't even barely touch it. And the paralysis ended up progressing so severely that I uh, was put on a ventilator because I could no longer breathe. So the paralysis affected my entire body from the neck down, couldn't breathe, couldn't speak, couldn't move anything. And I was basically not, not comatose, but close enough. I was still aware of everything and I knew what was happening to me. Uh, But I was quite sedated, quite out of it and on a, on a breathing tube in, in ICU and just fighting for my life. It's kind of like I, I, I attribute it to uh, I have gout, and so I've had gout attacks. If I eat something wrong, I've learned that I, I have to basically be, be a vegetarian because mm. animal fat is what, what triggers it for me. And there were times when I could not, because of the pain, I could not put the weight of a sheet Yes. On on my leg or whatever was more intense than I could bear, uh, because and because it, it attacks it's the same thing it attacks your nerves, yep. uh, kind of thing and it, it becomes a horrible horrible thing. So it and so I can't imagine having like I would have a joint go bad and do that. I can't yeah. imagine having that throughout your body. That must have just been. It amazing. was. Yeah, it was horrific. And yeah, you can definitely relate uh, because that's exactly what I was dealing with. I couldn't even stand the sheet to be on me. Uh, and so, or anybody to touch me anytime that somebody would even put their hands on me, it felt like they were taking like a sledgehammer to my body. Everything was just so hypersensitive. And they were giving me so many medications that just really didn't seem to touch it. And I mean, I'm in ICU and I've got a newborn and I'm hoping I'll get back to my life, but it just felt so impossible. And I, I just struggled for so long. Now in the, in the, as this continued to go down the road, cause it started as neck pain and then it continued to move forward. Were you scared at one point that it wasn't going to stop moving forward and it was going to cause irreparable damage and and you weren't weren't going to be able to um, do anything ever again? Absolutely. I I felt like that for quite a while. So, I mean, I was in ICU and everyone was telling me, you're going to get better, you're going to get through this, and you can recover from GBS. So not all cases do recover completely, but most do. So over 70% of GBS 
survivors basically will start to recover and then they will recover and get back to their lives. Um, about 30% are left in a wheelchair or using some sort of walking aid, like a, a cane or something like that. And uh, so I, it was in the back of my mind, am I going to get out of here? Am I going to get out of ICU? I had a very severe case. I was on life support. And when you're struggling to breathe and you're taking in breaths of air and constantly worried that you're not going to be able to breathe and you're going to die at any moment. It was hard to believe the doctors when they were saying, you're going to get better. You're going to get through this. <laughs> you figured they were, just, they were just trying to make you feel better. To be honest, I, I honestly did. And even my family as well. I mean, they were holding my hand and, and comforting me and my whole family was there by my side. And uh, a lot of the times I just thought that they were lying to me. And I, I, I even at times tried to convince them to just let me go and said like, you know what, I, I know you guys are lying. Just just let me go. And I was just in so much pain and there was just no hope for, for such a long time. And, and wondering, am I ever going to be able to move my body again? Am I ever going to be able to be a mom again, get back to my daughter, live my life and, you know, do all these things that I had wanted to do with her? I, I really had no idea if that was ever going to happen. If you go to her website, which, by the way, is hollyaftergbs.com, that's gbs.com, you can look at... Um, her darling child on her chest when she was in the hospital and she could not move her anything really. And, uh, it, it, that had to be a horrible struggle for you being, because she was not even a couple of months old. She was not even a few. Yeah. She was not even a month old. So that's why it was so traumatic to me because it was like, I didn't even get a chance to be her mom yet. We were still adjusting to life at home. And, you know, I hadn't even introduced her to all my friends yet because we were still, you know, adjusting and I hadn't even put her in her stroller yet. We, we, we live in, in Canada or in, in Edmonton in Canada. And so it's really, really cold in the winter time. And so we barely even left the house and she was at my hospital bed every single day, which was amazing and, and a huge inspiration for me. But at the same time, it was really, really challenging because my entire family was taking care of her. They were feeding her bottles because I couldn't breastfeed, obviously, because of the medication I was on. And uh, she's she's growing and, and getting older as the days and then the weeks and the months are going by. And there's no improvements for me, but she's changing. And it was it was devastating and heartbreaking that I couldn't take care of her the way that I wanted to and that everyone else was basically raising her for me. You know, I've been in a hospital for a couple of days um and you know you get bored and and you can watch tv but you you know you, there's nothing on at, at some point in time how did you keep your mind active during all of that so for the first i'm going to say probably month i was quite heavily medicated that you know time wasn't even a concept it was just everything was just so chaotic and I was in pain and I was crying and I was dealing with a lot of sickness and, and nausea and vomiting so it was just kind of pure chaos and and you know so, doctors are trying to treat me and you know it was like the movies like it was just everybody was running around that's what it was like for almost an entire month uh, but after that once I started to finally kind of plateau and you know they got my pain under under control and I was just kind of stuck there, then yeah, that's when the boredom really kicked in. And I remember I would stare up at the clock on the wall and I would I would just think like, oh my God, like the time is just passing by so slowly. And then hours later, I would look up at the clock and it wasn't hours later, it was four minutes. <laughs> and I literally, like, I just, I didn't know how I could do it. And I was dealing with severe anxiety and panic attacks and, and, and crying because I just didn't know how I could handle even a possibly another minute. That's one of those things when you're in pain like that, I'm sure the idea crossed your mind that just give me just a little bit more of that medication. Let me drift off to sleep and never wake up again. I did. Yeah. And, uh, 
I just couldn't handle everything. It was the pain, the nausea and vomiting that I was dealing with, not believing that I was going to get better and and thinking that they were going to leave me in that state. I thought that, you know, I'm going to be one of those people that's stuck in this vegetative state that can't move, but I'm fully aware of what's going on, but I'm just stuck in ICU forever. And so there, there were a few times where I asked my family and said, can you please just shut off the ventilator and just, just let me die. Uh, of course, my family would never do that. They were fighting for me and and with the, the help of the doctors as well, who were very encouraging and said, like, no, people recover from this disease. Like I said, over 70% of people recover from this. And that's a pretty high statistic. So you got to keep fighting. Yeah, but if you were like me, I would say, yeah, well, my luck is. I'm going to be the 30%. That's yeah, that is actually what crossed my mind many, many times. And so it was hard to stay positive. Thankfully, during that time, I like I had my strong family members who were fighting for me because I had no strength. They kind of pulled me through that that dark time and, and my daughter as well. Uh, and but then gradually I did finally start to get better and I started to see my improvements and I started to learn how to breathe on my own again, which was the most challenging part of my recovery, basically lasting like a few seconds at a time and then a few minutes. And I remember thinking I'm never going to be able to do this. But as time went on, I, I, I got better at it. And eventually I was able to breathe on my own. And so then that, that was a big turning point for me. It was like, okay, you know what? I can do this. I can, I can overcome something and I can move on from this. You know, that's one of those things you wouldn't think that Breathing would be hard to figure out how to do again, but if you haven't been doing it on your own and your muscles have atrophied, yep, and and so you're not used to doing it on your own, that would be that would be really challenging. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Is the diaphragm and lungs, everything just lost that strength, and so because I was in ICU for almost um, 70, 70 days total. And so throughout that, obviously, like I really lost that strength. So I had to regain it just like any muscle. So we had to practice and we had to re-strengthen everything. And so, like I said, I would I would go 30 seconds off and I felt like hyperventilating and I would be crying and I would I would beg them to put me back on the ventilator and they would. And then we'd try it again. And gradually my lungs got stronger and stronger until it got easier and easier. So. Today, you have a 12-year-old daughter, and things are, are well. I saw, if you go on her website, again, it really is worth a look, because it, it it'll make you, it'll make your eyes tear up a little bit, because <laughs> she does aerobics, she, she is, she's back to herself, um, and thank God for that. It's, it's just amazing that you are, you, you came virtually to the brink of death and then came all the way back. I did. Yeah. And I think like, I think we don't realize that we can do this. Like we can go through really, really hard times and then come back from it. When you're going through those hard times, you think I'm never going to get through this. It's, it's never going to get better for me, but it can. And my story is such a huge reminder of that, that I literally went from being completely paralyzed to where I am now. Now the journey to get from that point to where I am now was, it wasn't this drastic before and after, which you see on my website. It's like me in the hospital and me, you know, in the best shape of my life. But it was all these little tiny improvements along the way. So after I got out of ICU, I mean, I had to relearn how to do everything again. My, I had lost 30 pounds of muscle in uh, the hospital. So I was like skin and bones, couldn't do anything with my body. So I had to learn how to hold cutlery and how to feed myself. I had to learn how to drink from a cup, how to brush my hair and teeth, and just basically re-strengthen my body from scratch, from zero. And I had to learn how to take care of my daughter again as well, hold her in my arms, how to bottle feed her. Eventually, I was able to get out of bed. And at that point, I was re- uh, moved to a rehab hospital. And I learned how to strengthen my legs. And so at first I would be in my hospital bed, strengthening my legs that way. And then I learned how to stand 
and then eventually how to walk and how to how to move forward with a, a walker. And that's how I got around for many, many weeks. And then eventually I grew strong enough to walk with a cane and then progress to walking on my own. And so I went home after 126 days in the hospital. My daughter was almost six months old by that point. So it was like this, this huge long stretch of all these trials and tribulations and throughout the entire journey, there was all these fears of, am I ever going to recover? But I just promised myself that I would just keep going and keep fighting and just keep trying again tomorrow. And eventually I got to where I am now. Did while you were doing this progression, which is clearly what it was from able to getting, getting people don't recognize that when you've been in bed for that length of time, just getting out of bed without falling over on your face is a real big challenge. And, uh, but I'll, I'm willing to bet that every step along the way you had, um, nurses and people and physical therapists that when you made something new happen, that you got applause and they were, they were very excited. For you. I did. I had a wonderful support system and I'm so grateful for that. Um, obviously, you know, depends on where you are in the world, but there's people that are affected by GBS everywhere and it affects people of all ages, all races, in every country. And so when I think about some of these countries that don't have great health care and there's even people that have had to, you know, recover from from this at home with no health care, which is just heartbreaking to me. Or people that don't necessarily, you know, have close friends or family, they don't have that support system. Um, I can't imagine what that would be like to go through. And so you really do have to find anybody that can kind of hold on to you and be your cheerleader and support you through it. Because uh, like you said, yeah, I had nurses and, and doctors cheering me on and encouraging me to keep moving on those days that it was really, really challenging. And so, you know, it just, it motivated you so much more when you've got that support system. You know, the fortunate thing in your case is that you had an angel among us and it is remarkable that, uh, I believe that, um, that we're provided those when we need them at, the, at our worst, uh, to be able to, for us to understand and go through it. Tell us about the angel that came to you. And I'm not talking about the angel that that with wings and stuff like that. This was an actual person. Tell it was, me. yeah. So when I was going through GBS, you know, being first told that you're you've got GBS, you've got Guillain-Barre syndrome, and I'm thinking I don't even know what that is. Like, can't even pronounce it. Never heard of it. Is that a disease? Like, I I just had no idea, and I didn't even realize that you know people in their twenties, people of all ages, can get these rare diseases. When you're in your twenties, you think you're invincible. I'd never had any health issues before, so I thought, you know, I'm never gonna get sick. So when this was happening to me, it was just so shocking and so sudden. And they're telling me it's rare. It only affects about one to two out of every hundred thousand people, give or take, uh, which is still it's still a substantial amount of people but when you're going through it it's very isolating especially when a lot of the doctors and nurses typically they'll never see a case in their in their careers some may depends on the hospital and where they are uh, but they a lot of them were saying you know I've never seen a case of this before which is very scary when you you've got somebody caring for you and they don't even know how to handle you and they don't know how to treat the condition and so it's very very isolating and I felt like an alien I felt like I was the only person in the entire world that had this disease. And I, where I, my mind would go with that is one to two people out of a hundred thousand. How did I get so lucky? Yeah, that's exactly what I went through. And I went, why me? And I was so angry for so long. Why did this happen to me? And why did it happen to me literally weeks after I had given birth? And I was so angry for such a long time. And as I've mentioned before, you know, that that hope, I just didn't have it. And the doctors seen that they seen me really, really struggling and, and not wanting to I was, you know, I was not even wanting to see my daughter at times, they were saying you need to bond with her, they're putting her on my chest. And there were some days where I said no, like get her off because it was just so heartbreaking to me to have her there It was just a reminder of all that I had lost. And so there were times that I couldn't even bear to look at her because it was too heartbreaking. And so the doctors seen that and they said, you know what, we need to find somebody else that's gone through this. And so they found another GBS survivor 
who had overcome it. He was actually in the same hospital room that I was in two years prior and he had recovered. And so he was in ICU at one point and he walked into that hospital room to come visit me. And he walked in with his family and his, his kids and his wife. And he stood beside my bed and, and to know that he had been where I was, completely paralyzed, unable to move anything, can't breathe on his own, to standing beside my bed living his life was just a huge inspiration. And that was a big turning point for me, realizing that, you know what, if somebody else can do this and somebody else went through what I'm going through, then maybe I can get through this too. That must have been a huge emotional moment for both you and any of your family that were there when this family walks in and he says i'm a survivor of this and you can't also be and uh that must have been a huge emotional moment for everyone it was it was just this spark in me that you know what he's done it and i can do this too and that's a big reason why i do what i do now is share my story is to be that beacon of hope for other people so after i recovered i i knew that i wanted to remind anybody that was going through it that, you know, even when you feel lost and you feel like you can't get out of this, there's hope. And my story is that, that reminder. So I joined uh, the GBS CIDP Foundation here in Canada, started volunteering with them, started going to visit patients in the hospital and and raising money for their foundation and, and putting on events to bring awareness to GBS because I just wanted to bring awareness to this rare disease that really devastates a lot of people every year. And you, until you're affected by it, you don't even know that it exists. Exactly. And if you, if you look at, even if it's two people in a hundred thousand, there are 330 million people in the United States. That means that there are lots and lots of cases. It exactly. might not be in lots of in the same hospital, but there are lots of cases. Exactly, and that that number may even be higher uh, because I mean it's or it's just kind of an average that they've they've put together, but they don't have the data from years and years ago. But there's all these survivors too that have been dealing with it, and I found this huge community of people after I recovered, and I I started sharing my story, and and my recovery videos went viral of of what I went through in the hospital, just basically that that progression. And all of a sudden, I had all these people reaching out to me from all over the world saying, you know what, I had GBS 30 years ago. I'd never met a survivor before. I didn't know that other people existed and doctors and nurses and stuff. And so it's been amazing to be able to connect with other people and to give them that hope as well through my journey. That must be really interesting when you walk into a hospital room and somebody's in the exact same position that you were in on a ventilator and stuff. There must be that must be an emotional moment for you. It is. I still remember the first time that I went back and I was I was very eager to go back because I knew that I knew what their family was going through. I knew exactly what they were feeling. You feeling that hopelessness, feeling like are we ever going to get out of this? is my family member going to survive this? And the person laying in that bed thinking, I'm, I'm not going to get out of here, even though they're saying I'm going to get better, I don't believe them. And so to go into a hospital room and to walk in there and to see their eyes light up when I'm saying, you know what, I went through this too. And here I am living my life as if almost as if it never happened. And you can too. It's, it's very rewarding. Uh, it's very difficult as well. You know, you don't realize how much smells and sounds can affect you. But when you go back into an ICU and it smells like antiseptic and you've got the beeper, the beeps ringing in the background, it's like, okay, yeah, I remember all of this. Do you feel like maybe that you had a touch of PTSD um, that, that you've had to also work through? Because, you know, PTSD can come in a myriad of ways and it comes from some sort of trauma that exists doesn't have to be a huge thing can be a small thing. Yours is a pretty big thing. Um, so do you think that you had a touch of that? Absolutely. I think everybody that would go through something like that would change them drastically. And so there are some moments, you know, that will just take me back to those feelings and the fear that I felt. And it can be very overwhelming. And I think a lot of people experience that after going through, especially a, a long hospital stay. A lot of people will deal with um, PTSD from ICU specifically, and it's something that's not talked about a lot. It's not even really dealt with, 
you know, nobody even really asks me how I was doing when I was in ICU. And uh, that's something that I, I think that they need to definitely come up with is, you know, have those, those solutions for people when they get out of ICU and they get out of the hospital is where do you go from there and how do you recover from that? Um, emotionally as well, not just physically. Well, and emotionally is a big, big part of the package uh, that, that you've got physical stuff and you've got mental stuff and you've got emotional stuff and you've got spiritual stuff and all of those things need to be healed at one point in mm-hmm. time so that you can be the person that you are really designed to be. And I, I just want to add one more thing, and that is this, and that is you, you, this happened to you when you were in Canada and you have universal health care in Canada. Um, I can't imagine what would have happened if you were in the United States and had no health care. Mm-hmm. And they, you would have been in a, a hospital that was less than. Yeah. They trying to push you out the door as quickly as they can because the bills are racking up and you can't afford it and all that kind of stuff. I highly encourage us down here to fix our healthcare system because for, for exactly, you're a 27-year-old healthy woman who just had a baby and then you were flat on your back for six months. Exactly. And there's a, there's another book out there that I've read called Bed Number 10. And it's about a woman that had GBS, I think it was in the 80s. And she's in the US. And she talks a lot about that in her book, about the things that they were charged for on a daily basis, you know, like basic medical stuff that you would need in a hospital that they were getting charged for, and the amount of uh, money that they had to pay out of pocket. And it breaks my heart that people have to deal with that on top of what they're already having to deal with. We were so fortunate that we didn't have to th- even think about the the medical bills. Um, I had some treatment in the first several days, something called IVIG, which is basically, uh, it's kind of like a blood transfusion. So they're basically trying to take out the uh, damaged uh, antibodies and they're basically replacing them with healthy ones and the healthy ones are from donors and so they're from other people and they're these like little glass jars and they were ten thousand dollars for each one and i had five of them holy mackerel yeah and it i i didn't even have to think about that because obviously it was in canada but in the u.s there there are situations where people don't have coverage they're not covered and they have to pay for that well, I'm sad to say that in, in as an example, in your situation, as being a 27-year-old healthy female, many, 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 many people do not buy health insurance or do not have health insurance or are underinsured. Yeah. And that's that's even a bigger deal uh, um, because it's, it's expensive for um, a 27-year-old to buy insurance down here. You know, it could be $800, $900 a month. And that's, that's just crazy. So... I am so proud of you and what you're doing, and it's such a pleasure to meet you. Um, I've met you before, but your story, every time, it just really impacts me. And I I, I support you in everything that you're doing. And congratulations on – now, you do any work down here in the States with people? Uh, you know what? I've, I talk to a lot of people online. I have visited patients. I've actually flew to uh, – I've gone to uh, Phoenix, and I've gone to Florida to actually visit patients in the hospital as well. I've gone to a lot of conferences. Uh, this fall, I'll be heading down to uh, – uh, Washington, there's a, a massive GBS conference that they hold every year. And it's like this family reunion because I get to meet all these people that I've connected with over the years that have gone through exactly what I have and, and recovered and were there to, you know, inspire and give hope to other people. That is sensational. And I'm glad I what is it about you? I know you I know you wanted to give back, but why this is 12 years ago now. And you've got a you know 12 year old girl and and you've got her life and stuff. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? I think that just, I don't ever want anyone to feel like I felt in that moment and believing that there was no hope to get through it. And I just wanted to show other people, you know, you can and you have to keep fighting. And and sometimes you need that additional support. You need somebody else to help you through it. And so I just want to be that person for other people. You have a big heart. <laughs> and and thank you for what you, thank you for what you do. How's the book doing, by the way? The book is doing really, really well. Uh, it's it's a, a really inspirational story, not f- just for people that are going through GBS. You know, we all go through really hard times and, and you you feel like, you know, it's just, it's not going to get better. And I think my story is just a really good reminder of per- perseverance 
waking up the next day and just keep fighting and keep moving forward no matter what and and finding kind of the blessings from your journey. For me, I mean, I was, I lost out on six months of my daughter's life. And uh, those first six months, I mean, I I didn't get to see her smile. I I didn't get to put her in her stroller for, for six months. And I missed out on a lot. And I was pretty angry for a while. But now we have such a strong bond. And I've, I've taken so many great blessings from that horrible time that it's changed my life for the better. And so I think that's what my book also can do is just encourage people to, you know, sometimes you're not going to, you're not going to be able to look back on the things that you've gone through with joy, but you can try to find even something good from it that you can take away from it. Something that you've learned, something that it's given you. For me, it's really taught me that, you know, how short life is and to go after the things that I want to go after and to go do the things I've wanted to do. I travel a lot more. I've always loved traveling, but I just never did it before because I always figured I would have time. And now I do because I know that, you know, tomorrow's just never promised. Nope. You, you, tomorrow may never come. It's, it's, it is important to, to live your life in, in that way. And, and you just said that, that I think is really important. A lot of people will say, well, this is a horrible thing happened to me, whatever it is. And they'll, they'll hold that against and they'll be a victim to it for their entire life. Whereas if you can take the good from every situation, even if it's only a sliver of good, get rid of the other stuff and learn it and use it as a learning tool for living your life a little bit better. I think that you'll be much better off in the long run. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. You know, we aren't, we aren't blessed with the, 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 you know, we, we get these cards that are given to us or dealt to us and we don't have control over it, but we can have control over what we do with it. So I like what you said that, you know, you can, you can turn things around. So you can say, you know what, this horrible thing happened to me. And instead of just staying with that and saying this horrible thing happened to me and being a victim, you can say this horrible thing happened to me and this is what I did with it. And this is how it improved my life. And this is how I changed my tragedy into something more beautiful. And you now recognize that you can live your life the way that you want to live it and, and travel and to do the things and not wait, not wait for when you get to be old because you may not get that chance or you may not um, feel up to it when you're, when you're older. So do it now. Exactly. Yeah. And, and especially because of what I went through and, and learning how to walk again, learning how to use my body again at, at, at one point, for, for many weeks, I had people taking care of me, right? They had to help me shower. They had to feed my feed me and, and brush my hair and, and basically take care of me. And so it's given me a huge appreciation for our body and what our bodies are capable of doing. So something as simple as going for a walk is such a blessing for me. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to use my body in the way that I wasn't sure that I was going to, and in a way that a lot of people can't. Uh, I was in a rehab hospital on a ward with a lot of people that uh, had spinal cord injuries that were never going to walk again. They were stuck in a wheelchair for the rest of their lives. And so I felt like I really owed it to them to, to live my life and do all the things that I was capable of doing, because I know that that's what they would want for me. I'll bet your daughter's very proud of you. She is. (laughs) She is. And it's so cute because she obviously doesn't remember. I mean, she was six months old and and below, but uh, she's seen the videos. She's seen a million pictures. She's, I talk about it on a daily basis. It's such a huge part of our lives that it's like, she feels like she went through it. And so she is very proud of what I went through and, and she definitely sees it as a blessing as well. She knows what it uh, turned our life into and it, it made our bond so much stronger, I think, than um, had we not gone through it together. So another positive out of what could be considered a very bleak and uh, awesome, awful situation. Absolutely. So, so you're doing it, you're doing it. You're taking, you're making, you're making good out of the, the, out of everything. And that's, and that's just awesome. I hope that uh, one of these days, I hope that I'm going to see you in front of Congress testifying about uh, about uh, GP, G, 
GBS. GBS. Which is, that's what it's the, what's the name of it again? <laughs> Guillain-Barre syndrome. So it's named after two doctors that discovered it. It was actually, uh, it was thought it was, it was called polio for a long time. That's what they thought it was. And then some, uh, these two doctors back in like, I think it was like 1900, realized that there was a difference between polio and this other syndrome. And that's so the two doctors named Guillain and Dr. Beret discovered it. Now, we really don't know where it came from, do we? Um, or how long it's been around. There must have been people like in the 16th, 1700s that would die from this. Yes. Yeah, so there is actually a theory, if you Google it, that Alexander the Great, that's what they actually believe that he may have died from, is from Guillain-Barre syndrome. It's, it's quite wild. There's actually quite a few uh, famous people that... Um, they they've looked back on and uh have said you know what maybe actually this was was gbs um teddy roosevelt they also believe that it was likely gbs that he had oh my goodness gracious and they, they had no no idea because it hadn't been discovered yet so they just dumped it into a broad range of well must be this or it might be that but it's something yeah Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So with GBS, how it's diagnosed is through a spinal tap, basically, is so the, the protein levels will be elevated. And so that's how they diagnose you. But they only the, the way that they can figure that out is if they know what to look for. So if a doctor has never heard of GBS or because that happens, some doctors will never see a case of it. They'll read about it in med school, maybe a line or two because it's rare, they may never have to deal with it. And so they may not even know that they need to look for it. Which is probably more common than we would like to think. It's very common. And so for me, because my case was so severe, it helped me in a way because it progressed so quickly. And so it was kind of like a textbook case. And so they were able to recognize it and said, you know what, this, this, this looks like GBS, but that doesn't happen. And there's a lot of people that actually get turned away because it's not happening as quickly. It's happening over days and, and weeks. And people are saying, you know what, I'm feeling weak. I'm dealing with nerve pain, but they're, they're not even putting that correlation that it could be this rare disease because it's happening a lot slower pace. Uh, so there's a lot of work to be done, and I'm really proud of what we're doing with the GBS um, CIDP Foundation is that we're putting out pamphlets and, and we're doing a lot of education uh, for the ER doctors and for neurologists who may come in contact with somebody and how to recognize the symptoms. Now, uh, Holly has a question for you, <clears throat> which is, what helpful tools does your book outline for readers uh, about the discovery of it or how to deal with it or um, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, the book is, is basically my journey and it's a, it's a lot about, it's a memoir. So it's a lot about my life and kind of how it all ties in together. Um, and throughout that, it's kind of like how I got through those really hard times. And I think it's very universal. And so no matter what you're going through, you, I think it's relatable to, you know, finding support system and how to move forward and how to keep fighting. Uh, it's a great resource for, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, family members, uh, anybody going through the disorders, as well as any other autoimmune disorder, because they can be very similar. And uh, the symptoms and the even the residuals that we deal with can be very similar. And uh, that's actually in the, the last part of the book. There's a whole resource section, basically kind of outlining some of the residuals that we deal with, and uh, just kind of the progress of the disease. You know, what's really uh, kind of upsetting to me is that autoimmune diseases still are, to a great degree, a mystery. They are. They yeah. really are. They don't know why, and it's on the, they're on the rise. And so that one out of 100,000, that was, I think that's changed now in the last like three or four years that they've said now it's two. And so they're on the rise and they really don't know why and what's causing it. And uh, it's heartbreaking because it's our own bodies that's doing it. It's our body is incorrectly fighting itself. I tend to think, and I could be totally wrong, but in my case, because I <laughs> I go to a, a rheumatologist and, and she's a great gal, but she'll say, well, you got this and we think you got that, but you got something else and I can't tell you what it is because I have no idea and uh and stuff and so they they don't they don't really know what it is but i think it may be environmental it may be dietary 
It may be all of those things combined in a certain combination that works with against you with your body and your immune system that causes the inflammation that causes those things. Uh, you're nodding your head. I think you agree with that. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And I mean, I think that all of our environments have been changing so much over the years. And so I think it's kind of obvious that something is happening. Uh, but like you said, diet can can play a huge part. I know for myself, I still deal with residuals. So at times I can get very, very fatigued. Uh, I get nerve pain whenever I'm stressed or, or, or tired. And I know a lot of people also that follow inflammatory diets because they'll eat certain things and it'll cause their nerve pain to increase. And so that's something to be very, very uh, aware of and cognizant that, you know, if something is, is causing that trigger of inflammation in your body, uh, then, that, then that's something you want to avoid. I used to love a good ribeye steak. I, I used to love pork chops. I used to love bacon. I can't have any of those things anymore because they act as a trigger. So you, so you, you, it's important for you as an individual to kind of go down the list and figure out what is triggering you into a bout of nerve pain. It is. Yeah. And I go through that on a daily, monthly basis. And um, over the years, I mean, it's been 12 years for me, but I've gone through really, really severe bouts of fatigue where uh, it was affecting my work. It was affecting my life. It was affecting my ability to be a mom. And I, I had to go down that path of, you know, what is working and what's not and what are triggers for me. And, and you know, I had to learn how to listen to my body. And I'm very grateful now that I don't deal with that very often. Uh, but that's because I've learned, you know, what things make my nerve pain worse, what things make it better. Sleep is number one. Uh, you know, our bodies are so, it's sleep is so important for our bodies, um, as well as, you know, eating healthy and, and exercising regularly. It's all these little things that definitely make a difference. And because in the last, you know, it, it kills me, Holly, um, that, um, what we don't recognize is that it, our environment has changed so much in the last 140 years. Um, 140 years ago, we were driving horses and buggies, and we were um, gas. Gasoline wasn't a big deal. Uh, plastics hadn't been invented yet. There were a lot of different environmental toxins that we uh, fertilizers or or uh, um, um, insect repellent and, you know, just a ton of things that has changed and we can't keep up with all the numbers of things that are now affecting us in a different way than, than it was designed because nobody's done the research. And I, I don't know if you've, if you've discovered that as well, if, if in your, in your quest to find out why do these things happen and they'll say, I don't know, we don't really know, really, quite frankly, we don't do the research. Yeah, it is. And I, like, even when I was going through GBS and I was dealing with all these doctors and they're saying like, well, we've never seen a case of GBS before. And they, they weren't even sure really how to treat me. And, and it was wild. It was a very humbling experience to realize, you know, doctors don't know everything. I went to the hospital thinking, you know, they're going to give me some medication and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to be fine because that's what doctors do. They know everything and they're going to fix you. But it's certainly not the case. There's so much about the human body that we don't know and that they're still learning. And like you said, there's just not enough research for GBS. I mean, nobody's heard of it. So we do a lot of fundraising for that exact reason because we, we put those funds and we do uh, provide them to universities and stuff so they can do some research on it. But otherwise, nobody would because it's, it doesn't affect enough people. Sadly, you know, cancer, for example, affects many, many people around the world. And so that's where a lot of the research is going. So it is a lot harder to raise money for a disease that nobody's heard of before. But I'm really proud of the work that we've, we've done. I live in Seattle. And the Fred Hutchinson Center and many, many, there are like huge buildings in downtown Seattle that are all dedicated to cancer uh, because it affects a large number of people. Mm -hmm. Because this affects one to two people per hundred thousand, the money isn't there. Pharmaceuticals not going to mess with it. It's too expensive. So the, the, the things are not progressing quickly enough. And I'm hopeful with, you know, this, um, this uh, AI 
artificial intelligence, I'm hoping that they can point to a problem like um, like GBS and can come up with some solutions faster than uh, because it makes it more it makes it easier to be able to do that. I hope. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we are coming a long way. Uh, we've come such a far way, even in the last like 30 years or so even compared to when I went through GBS. I mean, social media was just coming out kind of when I was uh, going through it. And so there was so many people that, you, you know, like I said, they didn't even realize that this was happening to other people in the world. So they went through these experiences by themselves. And now with social media, so many people that go through GBS, there's many, many people that go through it in a year and are going through it on a daily basis and they're sharing their stories. And so it's bringing that awareness. And uh, it, it is, you know, it, people are recognizing it more and there are more and more doctors that are saying, you know, I think I know what this is and I've, I've seen this on social media and thank you for bringing awareness to it. So we have come a long way and there's not to say that we're not doing any research because we are, and uh, there are new treatments and new medications that they're testing and that they're coming out with. And so let's just cross our fingers and hope that it'll just continue to get better as the years go, go by. I want you to go get her book, Life Support, Surviving uh, GBS, <laughs> <laughs> a, a Mother's Story of Hope and Recovery. Uh, Holly Francis is the author and she is sitting right there. She's an extraordinary human being. And I want to thank you for coming here. And uh, and by the way, years ago when you were lying in that bed and you had an angel among us come and, and give you a, a ray of hope, and you're doing that for other people, and bless you for doing that. You, you, you're an incredible story. Get the book. Support the work. Uh, if you can, donate. Um, if they, if somebody wants to donate to to the cause, how do they do that? Yeah, so you can donate uh, depending on where you are in the world. So if you're in in the U.S., they actually have a U.S. chapter as well. So that makes it obviously a little bit easier. So you can you can direct your donations to the GBS CIDP Foundation in the U.S. Uh, and then obviously, if you're in Canada, then we also have a Canadian branch as well. Can you say that a branch a little bit slower? Yeah, so it's the GBS CIDP. So CIDP is is another rare disorder, very similar to GBS, and so they've lumped the two together. Uh, and so it's GBS CIDP Foundation International. And I want you to know something, ladies and gentlemen, that this happened to a 27 year old healthy female who had just had a baby if it can happen to her it can happen to you it can happen to your child it can happen to anybody that you know and so please donate and uh and go there and and follow certainly buy the book life support by holly francis i want to thank you for being here and you have to come back i already said I will definitely come back and thank you so much, Kevin, for having me on and just for giving me a voice and helping to bring awareness. You know, we get a lot of med students and nurses that sometimes, you know, they'll be checking out podcasts, they'll be listening to radio shows, and it's great awareness for them too. And if you are ever dealing with a patient that's gone through this, it can really help you to understand the condition and what it's like to go through that disease. And it's horrific. I can tell you nerve pain, there ain't nothing like it. And if you have it all on every nerve in your body, uh, that that's, you know, excruciating. I can't believe that's, you know, that's awful. So, but thank you, Holly. Thank you for being here. I, I, you're, you're an angel and, uh, and congratulations on the work and say hello to your daughter for us. I will. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Kevin. And uh, we'll uh, be on soon and talk again. Yes, ma'am. If you wait right there, I'll be right back. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each 